This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to episode number 138 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant, that's me. Join my Nick Maxson, who, uh, Nick, say hi to the folks here. That's me, I guess. Well, <laughs> I mean, if you want to be me, you can. We could switch it up. I, that's fine. Uh, I, You would probably do I don't a better. Think I don't think you'd want to be me. We'll suppose you that way. You'd do a better job being me than I would being you. I, that's, a, that's a tough task to tackle. You've got a lot of intricacies that I can't match, and in a good way. Uh... You're yeah. like you're like uh, the Boston Bruins player vetting team, except the opposite. Because <laughs> they're sure how so, I feel about that. They're so badly intricate, mm. and you're the opposite of that, right? So, I, I, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Boston Bruins uh, in our Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Yay, exciting! Hockey Canada news is in there too, as well. Yay, exciting! Oh, fantastic! Oh, it's just amazing. It should be very quick though. Uh, what won't be quick? We'll recap a lot of what's going on around men's hockey this week. Here, of course, uh, men's hockey was in Colorado College for St. Cloud this week. Women's hockey was off this week. They'll be in Lindenwood this upcoming Thanksgiving week here. So we'll talk a little bit about that, and then uh, probably some more in-depth Minnesota Wild talk this week. It's been a while since we've really gotten a chance to focus on the Wild a little bit, so we get to talk about them, and of course, a very exciting game that they had last night. If you're listening to us on Sunday, um, with Alex Golgowski's Silver Stick celebration, uh, and then the extra ice session, we're just going to talk about a smorgasbord thing. The Twins got new jerseys. Reverse retros are finally out for the Wild uh, and available mm-hmm. to buy, and they laid they an absolute quick. yeah, <laughs> and they laid an absolute egg in that hockey game when they wore them. It's fine. Um, but with that being said, we're going to start and hopefully not lay an egg ourselves with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. story of the day Noah that we don't want to have to continue to talk about but the Boston Bruins force us to do it and that is they have hired a law firm uh, led by former U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch and effectively what they want her to do is to review their player vetting process um, this is of course coming after signing uh, Mitchell Miller and then was uh, quickly rescinded slash bought out slash we don't really know for sure <laughs> yeah. um, either way uh, what we think we know is that a contract was signed and filed with the NHL's uh, central registry and let's just say there's discussions on whether or how uh, to handle that per se but the Boston Bruins are more interested in 
trying to figure out how the pen went to paper in the first place. Um, so the law firm that Lynch represents is uh, Paul Weiss, Rifkind, Warden, and Garrison. I'm trying to say that three times fast uh, <laughs> to conduct an independent review of the process. Uh, no, can we just say the quiet part out loud? Is this just the Boston Bruins doing this for the sake of Saving being transparent? Being yeah. transparent when we all know who's at fault here. We all know exactly who's at fault here. Yeah, I think it's a little bit weird that they have to review their player vetting process, considering that it's a pretty standard thing. You know, the only other team that really has had issues with this, per se, is the Arizona Coyotes during their draft a couple of years ago when they were they were kind of hands on literally with players and they weren't allowed to be, um, I guess. And of course, Mitchell Miller was a part of that, too. Huh? Funny how that works, huh, Nick? Uh, but yeah, I I. <laughs> It's a weird move. I don't really understand. You know, the thing that sucks, too, um, as much as I am not a Boston Bruins fan and I cannot stand their broadcast team led by Jack Edwards, it is absolutely terrible. The Bruins themselves are a really good hockey team. In fact, they're they're approaching on the potential record for like best uh, start at home. I believe they're still undefeated at home at the time of recording. I think it's 11 wins or something like that. And they're like 16 and two or something like they're a wagon. Yeah, they're a good they're hockey a team. So yep. um, it's weird. I, I, I don't really uh, I'm curious to see what comes out of it. But honestly, Bruins messed up like plain and simple. They they yep. kind of need to move on. It's uh, and they're going to end up paying Mitchell Miller some money. Like you mentioned, in some way, shape or form, it's kind of messy. And this really doesn't really save as much faces as I think they want it to do. No, it's it's certainly a, a PR control move. Uh, yeah. It certainly is giving the impression that we didn't know where the breakdown was, even though everybody in hockey knows exactly where the breakdown was. Uh, it's it's kind of funny. In like the worst way possible, yeah. just because it's like you're trying to say we don't know where the problem is, but clearly you know exactly where the problem is. Yeah. Wasn't it weird <laughs> when Cam Neely came out and he was essentially like, yeah, you know, we'll have to talk with, you know, our player vetting people and we'll have to look at that process and that sort of thing. Like you, ju- you scouted the guy for like two months and were in constant contact with him. Don't tell me you all weren't communicating and then went, wow, the public didn't like this. We don't know what happened. You know damn well what happened. You, you know? know damn well what happened. And don't tell me that you did not know the story of Mitchell Miller. I yeah. mean, it, it's been well documented. Again, a quick Google search. If yeah. you really were in that proverbial, you know, shall we say boardroom bubble. But I would have a very difficult time to believe that the Boston Man. Bruins, who, mind you, were also at the seat of a certain draft table. And Mitchell Miller was drafted and then quickly was, uh, shall we say, uh, rescinded that draft pick. Don't tell me they weren't aware of that situation. The, the only the only way that it could not, you know, that I could see them not having any responsibility is when you mentioned Google, if they were using Internet Explorer 9, uh, they might yeah. not have the information yet. So that uh, or, what was it? Safari? Yeah, I don't know. I Firefox. knew Safari. Firefox. I'm just yeah. trying to name any sort of what's a re- oh Netscape. That's the retired one. That Fire, was- Firefox is still a thing. Although the problem with yeah. Firefox is they got rid of the Fox. Now it's just Fire. You know, I know like it's that's, weird. It's a, it's, it's an issue. You know, maybe they issue. maybe they should talk about their uh, internet graphics vetting team and probably hire a law firm for that. They might uh, because <laughs> you know at the end of the day that was a horrendous PR move to get rid of the yeah. Fox. Uh, Myself included. But anyway, so uh, be curious to see what the Bruins do in the wake of when that report or when their findings 
um, are completed because effectively, I think that's sort of what they want to have happen is for there to be an investigation, lay out the steps that were missed and hold certain people accountable that are AKA not Cam Neely, not any sort of ownership in people and actually, yeah. And they'll drop it a day after Christmas or a day before Probably. New Year's. Yeah. Right. Speaking of which, uh, let's, for more of wonderful news around hockey, uh, as you mentioned, Hockey Canada, uh, back in the news. And this goes back to um, an older board member. This is a senior vice president of strategy, Pat McLaughlin, as um, he was testifying Tuesday of this past week that the organization has paid now close to what, $1.6 million to crisis management firm Navigator. This going back to July of this year, um, but emphasizing that, again, because Hockey Canada does receive public funds, that none of the public money was used um, in this payment for, again, crisis management. And if I remember correctly, Noah Navigator, I believe, was a PR crisis management firm. So, so. we go back to this again, right? <laughs> so, this is where the former board member comes into play. So, we're going back to um, mid 2010s. That, yeah, yeah, mid 2010s. And I guess old head coach Bob Nicholson, who is now with the Edmonton Oilers organization, essentially just said sorry for the lack of guidelines and handling sexual abuse. Um, he's now the chairman of the Edmonton Oilers, so pretty mm -hmm. high up there, said he only learned of the, of the situation that uh, Hockey Canada has been essentially under the gun for um, at the NHL draft lottery uh, and had not been contacted by police himself. Um, Nicholson left Hockey Canada in 2014 before he just recently retired at the end of June. Um, it, it's, honestly, it's, I don't know, Noah, I, I think this is still, speaking of crisis management, this is still part of that whole process to me, where you're yeah. still trying to tell the folks that, hey, um, if you follow the money, another $1.6 million has gone out our door, and oh, just to make sure you know, this is not public money. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I could see it not being public funds. One point six million dollars to a group like that really isn't that much money. Like, let's be honest. Um, no, and and the bigger the, the, the bigger only, key. Yeah, the only reason I threw it in there is honestly, those were only two updates that we've had since you know this piece that have been somewhat notable. I guess like more yeah, just kind of I mean, more just kind of keeping people in the loop. I'm not really sure. Now, I, could they have used public funds? Yeah, absolutely. But that again, it still doesn't go back to the we're kind of past that in some senses, right? We're yeah. just the deeper issue um you know, it, it's the proceedings really haven't moved along as much because like Bob Nicholson no. um you know, not to say he couldn't have put a better framework in place when he was there, um but it really it doesn't boils involve him you know unless the unless he was well, there back in 2003 when this other issue came out but again like there's a false precedent set there though Noah. that assumes that whether guidelines are in place or not that also assumes they get followed how many times we've had the conversation about victims of sexual abuse whether it's in universities or organizations yeah. like this where there are guidelines there and they still aren't yeah. followed right? i think i think where i was going with that is just like I don't know how much of a role he had to play, um, and I don't no. know. How much, I don't know how much he had to offer in the proceedings. But I thought, you know, it was interesting. I mean, he did speak, you know, and it sounded it's, sounded the most remorseful out of m more than many people that have been on be, that stand. You yeah. beat me to the punch. I think for for someone to to sorry to to essentially go up there and at least apologize, it it like I said, does it move the needle? No, not really. It's too late for that. Um, the fact that he's sort of trying to say that he wished there were more guidelines or any guidelines, you know, 
again, like at the end of the day, doesn't it come down to just being a decent freaking human being? Wouldn't you, you know? I, I I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what that what that is anymore, honestly. So well, let's talk about decent human beings who are no longer with the Minnesota Wild. Second to yeah. last topic here: waiver wire. Tyson Jost uh, placed on waivers by Minnesota was claimed by the Buffalo Sabers the other day. So Claim Tyson that, Jost, yeah, uh, wishing him the best of luck in Buffalo. The Sabers uh, looking for a bit of a turnaround after a hot start. They've only won two of their last seven, I believe, or lost seven yeah, straight. I think so. They have yeah. um, injury wire. We have a lot to talk about this week. Our final topic here: uh, Winnipeg's Nikolai Ehlers undergoing sports hernia surgery there is no timetable for his return usually hernia surgeries are like six weeks maybe eight if you have complications generally it kind of depends on where the hernia is um not to mention the recovery time too so yeah uh, get back to game speed yeah so um i would say for sure probably through maybe like new year's day is maybe a good timetable for him uh maybe he might be done for february i don't know i don't know about that late um well, it's not just the recovery process and the injury. And like you said, depending on where it is, you know, he may be limited in his workout. So it's because it's including the conditioning stints and everything else. I still think you're looking yeah. closer to end of January, beginning of February. Yeah, I'd say early to mid January. But nonetheless, we'll see. We'll see who's right. Someone someone vote on it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of the Buffalo Sabres, netminder Eric Comrie is expected to miss multiple weeks with a lower body injury. That's a tough loss for That's, them. That doesn't help. Nope. Um, Jonathan Drouin and the Montreal Canadiens. He's out four to six with an upper body injury. Patrick Line sprained ankle again for Columbus out at least a month. So the jackets cannot stay healthy. The oh jackets gosh. cannot stay healthy. It's been a tough time for Columbus. I think uh, we were talking uh, with a friend who we randomly have a Columbus Blue Jackets fan that's literally from Columbus that's here in Minot. And he was saying it's like 41 or $44 million in cap hit for injury right now yeah um on that team not very good of course zach Wierenski out for basically the year with the one last week which is really tough for them yeah uh, another team who can't catch a break toronto uh jake muzzin uh out indefinitely with cervical spine injury and tj brody's gonna miss at least two weeks for the leaf so they're uh they've Dude, actually their best defenseman their second pairing basically oh, come on. <laughs> they've actually been they've actually been doing pretty decent without that and their goaltending issues and injuries there of course matt murray's only played one game for the leafs so far yep. so it's been difficult for them their counterpart on the other side the ottawa senators thomas shabbat has been out at least a week with the concussion still has not returned the sens have uh, only won two of their last seven they've really struggled they uh, in the past two weeks Marc-Andre Fleury in Minnesota will miss at least a week due to upper body injury for the Wild. Uh, hopefully can return sometime around Thanksgiving next week. Yeah, um, you know, I think, you know, dare I say, because it was it was sort of like he was practicing and then he went off early. I think this move is more precautionary than yeah. anything. Um, so I know that whenever you put someone on IR officially, right, um, there's a lot of chitter chatter about you know oh how serious is it are they downplayed you got to remember what flurry's 37 yeah right 37 so and shall we say let's say this let's 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 troll some people right now because why not um philip gustafson is an nhl goaltender is he a starting goaltender no the wild know that and so anytime that you see mark under flurry that probably needs a rest uh Need to be need to be cautionary because you don't want to turn something that is a week into multiple weeks or say the rest of the season. 
Yeah, certainly have to take a look. We'll talk about the Minnesota Wild at the tail end of the main portion of the show. Stick around for that. We'll have a little bit more in-depth conversation this week. Uh, Dallas Stars, uh, the former Minnesota North Stars. Yep, threw that one in there. Uh, goaltender oh Scott Wedgwood, Wedgwood is day-to-day. Um, that back ailment, his back kind of seized up in that game. That's tough. I've had that happen, and it's not a fun experience. Um, he was stretched off against the Panthers, and they're going to be missing him for, uh, I would say, probably the better part of this week. So hopefully he's able yep. to return back to form. Certainly helps uh, Jake Ottinger. Was was a scary yeah. situation, and uh, it was I think later that night, um, if not the next morning, where the tests came back uh, negative for say shall we say more serious things yeah. that they checked for. So good to know that uh, relatively minor all things considering, rel- you know, especially how the situation unfolded. So good to see that he's all right for the most part. Obviously, still needs time to heal, but good to see that it's nothing too serious. And welcome into the main portion of the show, episode 138. Nick Maxson alongside myself, Noah Grant, coming to you on this Sunday. Normal time this week, next week, uh, tentatively scheduled for next Sunday. Nick has some traveling plans. He'll be on vacation, so we'll have to uh, hopefully keep people updated. We'll have to see how the internet connection is down in Puerto Rico, I think, right? Is that where you're headed? So uh, Somewhere. I just I, I just do what I'm told. <laughs> what does that mean? That means I hop on a plane and wherever it takes me, sure. <laughs> okay. I think it's Puerto Rico. We'll have to see how the internet connection is down there. Our hope at least uh, at some point next week is to kind of take a look. There's a lot of non-conference games coming up this Thanksgiving week. So talk a little bit about uh, the conference uh, standings for a lot of these, uh, of course, Division One conferences. On the men's side, uh, St. Cloud is off this upcoming week. So that makes things a little bit easier for us to do that as well, too. So we'll keep you updated. We'll try to do our best. If something doesn't happen, uh, we might take a week off uh, for Thanksgiving if things don't work out appropriately. But we're going to try to do a show as best as we can. Um, and that's all the math um, that I'm telling telling myself that I can do, apparently, um, since we're following orders here. Uh, As far as the men are concerned, though, uh, we did have plenty of conference action to get to. And again, some more topsy-turvy splits in a lot of the college hockey world. Uh, Starting off with the Big Ten, as always, Notre Dame and Ohio State. This was a split here. Ohio State 5-2 victory on the first night. And then Notre Dame, another 1-0 victory for them on Saturday. They continue to kind of put these really defensive juggernaut-style games together. Um, I don't, I don't really know how to get a read on this Notre Dame or Ohio state team for this matter. They both been kind of middle of the pack up and down. Is that fair to say? Uh, that's fair. It's, it's been a pogo stick slash roller coaster, whatever you want to call it. Oh, I would love to see a pogo stick on a roller coaster. They have those. Yeah. Right. Do they, do they have those in Puerto Rico. I think that'd be sick. Um, <laughs> uh, they don't. Oh, um, well, I guess Nick's going to have to join us from a conventional place like a hotel or something. Um, Minnesota and Michigan Thursday, Friday, uh, the U of M a sweep here pretty decisively, actually mm-hmm. five to two and six to three. This gopher team rebounding very nicely, although Michigan shorthanded, very shorthanded. In fact, their third string goaltender uh, was playing fourth line left wing on that uh, Thursday night. So I hear our yeah. old friend Dave Starman did that uh, in the <laughs> for the Toronto Maple Leafs back in the yeah. day. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting, too, is uh, I forget which one of their defenders is it uh, Holtz, I think. Um, he's actually in the ICU right now. Michigan's had this yeah. wave of respiratory issues. Um, they've called it a flu-like illness. Um, judging by ventilation and what I know about ICUs, it's probably COVID. 
Um, the only other thing that you could point to is maybe the RSV wave that's come around, but for a so young, huge that too, yeah. right. But for a young, healthy adult, uh, the etiology doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, it'd be pretty shocking to see an entire team get RSV like that. That's young and healthy. Usually it's reserved for infants and the elderly. Um, so COVID is probably what the actual underlying cause is there, but I, you know, Michigan put together a formidable effort, you know, rolling basically two lines and change, um, mm-hmm. especially on that first night. So, uh, I mean, what do you take away from this series? I think you take away that uh, the Gophers have that killer instinct. Um, You know, that despite Michigan being shorthanded, despite the fact that Michigan also, when fully healthy, is a still pretty good hockey team. uh, Minnesota didn't rest on its laurels. They they didn't go in there lackadaisical. They took care of business, and that's what you want to see. If you're a golfer fan, right? You want to see them not show any sort of mercy. And as you mentioned, this was a, a series where Michigan was never in it. They yeah. really weren't. Uh, Minnesota controlled every facet of the game. The scoreboard reflected that. And uh, I, again, you, it's, you, you can't control the cards that are dealt to your opponent. You can control how you, shall we say, look at it with either you know uh, a clear, shall we say, scope or a clouded one. And they chose to say, well, it is just is what it is. It doesn't change who we are. We need to go out and execute what we need to do because at the, at the end of the day, we still need the W's in the win column. Yeah, crucial couple of points for Big Ten standings could certainly make a difference towards the end of the season. Uh, moving over to the other side of Michigan, by the way, Nick, uh, Michigan State, Penn State. Uh, what a topsy-turvy series this was. Penn State, 4-3 yes. to three victory on Friday night, and then Michigan State, a 7-3 to three victory last night on Saturday we knew this Penn State team has had some get up and go this year. I think we've been sleeping a little bit on this Michigan State team who has really kind of had a nice little push in the past couple of weeks. Now, are they a top three contender? I wouldn't go that far, but they are certainly making a little bit of noise here in the Big Ten. They're making noise, and shall we say Penn State is the Friday, Saturday squad too also. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I think they catch a lot of teams off guard on Friday, which is how aggressive and up the ice they are. And then once teams review the footage and go, oh, that's what they're doing. They adjust, and then Saturdays become very tough for the Nittany Lions. Uh, but also got to give credit to Michigan State, too, who uh, put up a good fight against uh, Penn State in both those games. Was it a one-goal loss on Friday? Um, yeah, I, I think so. That's yep, 4-3. A- yep, and then, I mean, they still yeah. put up three against Michigan State. Mind you, Michigan State had seven on Saturday, so uh, yeah. a good response by the Spartans. But uh, Michigan State, like you said, probably not a top three, maybe even four contender, but certainly not a team to to gloss over. We'll yeah, say. yeah, wouldn't want them in the first round in the playoffs. I'll put it to no, you that way. No. Um, the Big Ten, a lot of parity uh, this season, actually. I mean, I think it's, I would say on paper, I would say Minnesota is probably the best team in the Big Ten. I, I don't think oh, Michigan the bottom for sure. Yeah, I, I don't think Michigan has the depth that they obviously had last year. Um, you know, and they've had kind of a top situation ride. The Gophers have had some hiccups too, but I think that they're certainly the most well-oiled machine. And after that, it's anybody's guess. And the Gophers could still not finish atop uh, the Big Ten the way Penn State has been rolling. So you never really know. Uh, mm-hmm. CCHA two point Topsy turvy and a half in this one. Bowling Green traveling to Ferris State. Bowling Green, a decisive six nothing victory on Friday, followed by a Ferris State four to one finish last night. Uh, two teams that Ferris State not expected to be a strong group. This Bowling Green team has 
mountains and valleys, man. That's really been the descriptor of their season so far. Yeah. Uh, Northern Michigan uh, traveling to Mankato. This was a heck of a series. Yes, uh, Northern was. Michigan, three to two victory uh, for Grand Patoni's club in overtime. And then uh, Mankato, a four to one victory on Saturday night. So that's a good victory uh, for it's the Wildcats, right? Up in Northern Michigan. Yes. Um, so this NMU team, man, I am just waiting for the year. I mean, they're so close. They're on the cusp. I'm just waiting for the year where they finally kind of break through and have all those pieces that finally click together. But what a great job that, uh, Grant has done up there with that team. Uh, this Mankato team, how do we assess them? Like, are they, are are they still as strong as they were last year? Are they not as strong as they were? It's no, they're not kind of hard to get a read on them. They, the thing that they're missing is their offensive punch. They really miss Nathan Smith up front, Julian Napravnik, just to name a couple of guys. Um, because I think what it allowed them to do was be opportunistic on offense. They really like to, again, be that shutdown defense first type squad under Mike Hastings. And it just it gave them confidence that even though they weren't necessarily pushing the pace offensively, they could strike when the opportunities, you know, I guess presented itself, but this year what's happening is they don't really have that counter strike ability Uh, defensively. I still feel like a lot of their younger forwards are still trying to figure out the Mike Hastings system. They're not the same team. They're still playing okay, but they're not nearly as dangerous and as what's the word just consistent. Honestly, they're just, they're not the same consistent squad we saw last year. Would agree. Uh, other game in the CCHA, uh, Michigan Tech, uh, St. Thomas, Michigan Tech, pretty decisive 6-2 victory on the first night and then a 4-3 to three loss last night. Nick, uh, this was essentially a bench minor that cost uh, yep. that cost St. Thomas with two and a half minutes to play in this hockey game. Um, you know, heard some things after the game that Rico Blasi was kind of unavailable for comment to some of the media that we know and you know, well, I mean, let's let's be frank about yeah, it. Would you, you know. especially when you know that if you looked in the mirror, the bench minor, and if what we understand about it, that was a bench minor from the head coach. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting though. We talk a little bit about accountability um, mm-hmm. and those sorts of things, and you know, it was interesting kind of going back and forth because we talked about you know uh, it, private group chat about you know there are some times where coaches just kind of need to blow off a little steam but it, it yeah. seemed like it kind of went beyond this a little bit and uh, I'm curious to see especially with their you know press conference they have coming up on Monday how this all gets sorted out because St. Thomas has had a couple of these games this year where they've really let games slip away and yep. to and to do that uh, you know, as a coach and have your players, you know, doing the interviews after the game and you're not a part of that. Um, it's interesting because, you know, it doesn't make a coach a bad person for not wanting to talk to the media. But I think at the same time, as we've all talked about, you know, would Brett Larson ever walk away from that interview? You know what I mean? Like, right. like, like throw that example out there, you know? So this St. Thomas team is so on the cusp of breaking through and trying to make some noise here. And they have let so many of these one goal games just slip through their fingers. It's got to be frustrating to be a Tommy's fan right now. It is frustrating, but I would still counter with this team. Remember last year, they they never really were in hockey games. Now, granted, this team is also brand new. And part of the learning process is they have yet to learn how to either get that extra push to you know, get back into a game or to continue to work hard to maintain a lead. Um, it's they haven't really figured out how to win those close hockey games. Granted, 
if we were having the same conversation last year, we'd be like, oh man, close, right? There'd be a lot of positivity around it. What does that tell us? That tells us there's expectations around St. Thomas, which is a good yeah. thing. But yes, you know, to, to the competitor, when you're in hockey games that are this close and have an opportunity to win and just weekend after weekend, you still fall short. It gets frustrating. Um, And you're waiting for the corner to turn, right? And it just hasn't happened for St. Thomas as of yet. Again, this team, talent-wise, is still building, you know, its foundation. So, you know, so I I would argue this. This team is experiencing probably the bigger growing pains here in year two than they had in year one, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's tough. And I get it from both the coaches to the players and the fans, but yeah. know that, you know, they're, they're not getting their butts blown out every single week. Yeah. You're in hockey. Yeah. You want to see a win. It's frustrating, but they'll get it. They'll get it. It's got to happen sooner than later. Cause at the end of the day, excuses run out, but yeah, there's an, there's another league where the conference tournament is going to be really interesting again this year. Hockey East, a couple of games to run through. Merrimack played Sacred Heart, 3 nothing victory for them on Thursday. Pay attention to Merrimack. They'll come into the fold with our scheduling coming up this week, and they've had a pretty decent run as of late. Sacred Heart not a very good hockey team, but something to keep an eye on here. Uh, UConn was at inverse UMass Lowell. UMass Lowell, a victory 3-2 to in overtime on night number one. And uh, the Huskies of Connecticut coming back with a 4-2 victory at night number two. UConn team, man. Uh, Northeastern yeah. was at inverse Boston University. Northeastern, a 2-0 victory at night number one. And then BU, 4-3 victory in overtime last night. So, again, mm-hmm. topsy-turvy action in Hockey East. And then throwing this one in there, Vermont and Providence. Providence had a bit of a scare. 4-0 victory and 4-3 overtime victories against the Catamounts. This uh, Friars team is not half bad this season either, so no, keep not. an eye on them. Atlantic Hockey, Air Force traveling to AIC. We only have the Saturday scores. They do play again today. 3-3 three to three in overtime was the finish in that one. So this Air Force and AIC duel continues to go. This Air Force team has been a curious one. And then a couple of independent games, Lindenwood uh, traveling to Wisconsin, Wisconsin escaping with the sweet four to three victory on Friday night. And then five to one pretty decisive and handy victory on Saturday and um, Friday four, three had to come back in the third late with yeah. two goals. They were down three, two, you know, uh, one, one Lindenwood. of the things that we've sh- seen from this Badgers team though, is if they stay in hockey games, They've kind of been the comeback kids, though, this year. Uh, granted, against some teams that maybe aren't the greatest, but they've found a way out of some hockey games, which we talk about tournament time could, you know, potentially shake things up when it comes to, you know, Big Ten tournament time, you know. As Wisconsin and Bemidji State a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. Sometimes you just need that one game um, yep. to, to uh, and that's all it takes come March, right? So yep. <clears throat> certainly would agree. And then Arizona State uh hosted or traveling to Clarkson. Clarkson a sweep here, two to one and five to three uh against the Sun Devils. So a good little showing for Clarkson to round out the scores from the past week. What's on tap in the non-NCAC schedule? Um a couple of non-conference games in the Big Ten. Notre Dame traveling to BU on Wednesday. Alaska Fairbanks traveling to Penn State Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. ZCHA 2.0, Mankato travels to Michigan Tech, and Lake Superior State travels to St. Thomas. Very curious about that um, LSSU weekend. They're really the only only conference, essentially, that has a fair slate of conference games, really, yeah, um, in really. terms of having more than one matchup. Uh, Hockey East, Holy Cross, will travel to Merrimack on Tuesday for some non-conference uh, scheduling before UConn visits Merrimack 
next Tuesday, the 29th. So Merrimack has a weird schedule, but that UConn Merrimack game coming up next week will be have a lot of intrigue there, but they have to handle Holy Cross first. And then UMass, the Minutemen, will travel to UMass Lowell Friday and Saturday. This is at the Friendship Four in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Quinnipiac will also play Dartmouth during this, and then, of course, they'll sort themselves out for the Saturday game. What a great opportunity to play in Northern Ireland and play some hockey. That's That'd be fun. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know, and I I wonder what the history is there with UMass, <clears throat> UMass Lowell, Quinnipiac, Dartmouth. Is there some Irish connection there? Maybe. Maybe. So, yeah. So uh, AIC in Maine um, playing on Saturday. They just have a one-game matchup next week for Atlantic Hockey um, and I believe a non-conference schedule there, obviously. Uh, and then independent Ohio State traveling to Long Island University. Um, and then Minnesota will travel to ASU. Curious to see how that matchup goes with the Sun Devils. Moving over to the NCHC, uh, Duluth uh, traveling to Western Michigan, and this was a barn burner of a hockey series. Uh, yes, it was. <clears throat> uh, Duluth 5-4 to four victory in night number one. Western Michigan completing the split 5-3 to three in night number two. This has probably been the most solid showing that we've seen from Duluth in some time. Hands down. Hands um, down. All season, really. However, um, they gave up nine goals this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um you know, this is a team that this Duluth team is apparently going to be in Western Michigan, I guess, for that matter, is going to these two teams might be no stranger to some high scoring affairs. Well, and here's the thing, you know, we're Duluth, <clears throat> I think not that long ago, they were averaging like 1.9 goals a game. So, um, I mean, scoring has been really tough to come by. You know, they're giving up um, over three. So I figure if if you're Scott Sandlin, too, it just might be a, 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 an option where it's like, well, maybe if we're playing our true identity, which is to be a strong, structured defensive team, and we're not scoring, well, if we can't keep the puck on that, well, might as well open things up and, you know, play the run and, run and gun game. And it was a much closer game. Uh, if they are now finding their scoring touch, um, that's better news for Duluth fans. And again, we talked about Western Michigan last week against the Huskies. They're a, they're a good hockey squad. Yeah. Um, so despite the split, I think Duluth fans and the players have to feel happy about getting a, uh, getting a win one against a, a top 20 team. Now, mind you, the pairwise, it's not going to rescue them from the pairwise, but it's certainly going to give them at least something to build on. Um, the question is, can they replicate this type of effort? weekend and week out so this next weekend we'll really get a, a taste to see if umd if this was a fluke or if they really have started to turn a corner yeah you uh um uh, i i think they're non-conference i don't actually think they're off next week to be honest with you but uh uno and du were off uh this uh up this week here yep. yep and uno and du will be the only conference games next week we'll get to that in just a few moments here other two conference matchups here this weekend uh miami traveling to grand forks in north dakota uh, getting blasted uh seven to one on friday mm-hmm. night but i watched this game last night a four to three gutsy gutsy victory for miami the first victory since 2017 in grand forks for the red hawks outshot i believe it was 27 to like six in the final 40 minutes including only two shots in period number three i came out strong a three to nothing lead halfway through period number two north dakota responded at the tail end of the middle frame with two of their own tallying the equalizer about halfway through period number three and it was all north dakota from there except for one Egregious turnover right above the goal line for the Fighting Hawks, and no mistake uh, for the game winner for the Red Hawks. And they were 
clinging on for absolute dear life. I mean, they were. you talk about the difference between this Red Hawks team and the team that we're about to talk about in the CC Tigers and this Red Hawks team, there's, there's a huge difference, you know, and Miami, I think yeah. has certainly taken strides this year, but this, I mean, this was a team that like they couldn't get the puck out of their own zone. They were like mm-hmm. praying to God, the puck didn't find the back of the net. What a great victory for this program. But I mean, it was like, shut the door, rely on your goaltender, collapse five guys around the net. Everything's off the glass. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. literally trying to try, trying to dig into your position there. And North Dakota was definitely a heavy push that they tried to hang on to that hockey game and get some points there. So a disappointing loss for North Dakota. But I think if you're a Huskies fan, Duluth, Western, Miami, especially getting a victory against North Dakota, you'll take those splits any day of the week in the NCHC. Yes, what yes, a great victory can. for Miami regardless. It really is. And, you know, we, we talked about how our conversations uh, with Miami and especially their captain um, at the media day, they really felt like the locker room had changed. They really felt like there was an opportunity now for them to, shall I say, not have some off ice distractions and feel more cohesive as a group. Yeah. Uh, Anytime you beat North Dakota in Grand Forks is no easy task. I think anybody who follows the NCHC knows that. Uh, and for North Dakota, I mean, Again, you just got, shall we say, just hammered seven to one. Yeah. And then you come back the next night, you get up to a three nothing lead. They lose that three nothing lead and you're just getting bombarded. You can't have. And then again, you said two shots. One of them finds the back and then that's all it takes. Yeah. Right. Is they, yeah. they never they never wavered. Again, we, we know the difference in skill between the two squads and maybe the depth of the of the talent they have. But good to see Miami just just sticking with it. Right. And and just taking what's given and, you know, just not, shall we say, you know, they're bending, but not breaking per se. Yeah. I mean, like I can't emphasize enough. It was ugly. Like it was one of those where they had like two power play opportunities in the third period and they both disappeared within the first 15 seconds because they took penalties of their own. Like the first one, uh, was like 15 seconds, some interference play. And then the second one was like a hooking minor right off the draw, you mm-hmm. know, with a puck that was just going to end up down the ice and reset your power play. So, yeah, it was not a pretty victory. But uh, I'll be honest, I was I was pretty stoked when Miami scored. I cheered a little bit for sure. Um, <laughs> St. Cloud traveling to Colorado College in the last NCHA matchup of the week. A sweep for the Huskies, three to one and five to nothing on Saturday. Friday night's game started off with Brendan Bushy on uh, Jeff Frazee, shorthanded, uh, excuse me, um, <laughs> Brendan Bushy uh, from basically his own goal line uh, all the way down the ice. And then Jack Peart, Yami Cranola getting assists on that midway through period number two, which is interesting that there's a primary and a secondary assist on that. I think that's more intriguing than anything for those uh, who don't remember the Jeff Frazee incident uh, Don Lucia does he was a former guest oh, of the he show knows that very well uh, yep. episode 25 I believe wow that's a throwback and a half um, but uh, it, it's it's interesting because this is uh, apparently becoming a theme between uh, St. Cloud and CC don't forget David Rennick led up a goal in the NC she froze in face off uh, during mm-hmm. the COVID year uh, from basically center ice in that game so um I mean, what more can you say about <laughs> Brandon right. Bushy? He's a natural born goal scorer beyond his own center ice line, yeah. right? 
I got to take lessons from him, apparently. So. Yeah, I wonder if he bought a lottery ticket. Uh, Colorado College equaling things up in the third period uh, before Dylan Anhorn with a little over two and a half minutes to play from Micah Miller and Grant Cruikshank of Netmouth Scramble uh, was in the perfect position, collapsing down a left-handed shot, short side blocker uh, to give the Huskies the lead. They never looked back. Zach Okabe, Yami Cranola tacking on an extra in that one. Shots on goal were dead even 29-29. Face-off 33 for 64 for the Huskies at a 51.6% clip. 0 for 2 on the power play, but a perfect 2 for 2 on the kill. Jackson Caster only allowing one goal on 29 shots. Saturday, much different story for the Huskies. A score is a bit misleading in this one, though, because, Nick, you and I kind of talked about this via text last night. This is still the best Tigers team that we have seen in a decade. Mm -hmm. I mean, and some of these stats... We'll show that. Let's get through the scoring here first. Uh, Jack Rogers versus a Husky, a very nice, very uh, nice play, very nice tip play there. Uh, Brendan Bushy, Jack Peart in the first uh, telling us this. Jack Peart quietly had, had a really good weekend. Um, points in five of his last six, I think. Yeah, he's definitely yep. going to be a talking point here in a few moments for sure. Josh Lidke, good to see him. Uh, Italian goal here. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Yami Cranola, Zach Okabe in period number one. And then Grant Cruikshank, a laser upstairs Jeez. glove side high on the power play from Dylan Anhorn. Again, Adam Ingram in period number one, three to nothing Huskies after 20 minutes. Zach Okabe from Vietti Mitten and Yami Cranola, the only goal about five minutes into period number two. And then Zach Okabe again to cap off this hockey game from Andre Treball and three Vietti goals Mitten. in the weekend for Zach. Holy buckets. Yeah, it was a great weekend for him too. A little bit less surprising though just but you know given what he's brought to the table over the past couple of years um 100%. The, the resident buzzsaw added again uh 36 28 shots for cc this weekend again you look at yeah. the splits for this team i mean they they certainly had their looks faceoffs dead even 29 apiece uh 50 on that one for two on the power play for the huskies and a perfect four for four on the kill dominic basti's third career shutout uh 36 saves 36 shot 36 shots against his own uh, former team essentially so uh nick we talk about this tigers program we've raved about them on this show they finally are pay playing with speed and skill they're harded yep. on the floor check they're winning puck battles they have extended yes. zone time tough a couple of really tough bounces in period number one that lidkey goal was kind of redirected grant crookshank what are you going to do when you give a guy like that space every tigers fan is crying His 11th goal of the year by the way he's been on yeah. freaking fire oh my gosh yeah every um, every tigers fan crying like the way we look at kevin fiala if you're a wild fan mm -hmm. right now i mean he's yep. been on a tear but this tigers team they transition they, yes, they do find d to d passes they move through neutral ice they are a far cry from them and Miami being lumped into the same category like they have for so many years. This group is, I don't know if it's going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be next year, but as an organization, they're going to turn a corner, man. This group is going to be a deadly group at I some think, point here. Yeah, and I think, you know, with more of the Chris Mayotte recruits coming in, right, I think that's going to be, I think you're going to see a bigger corner turn next season. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you can see again the style of play is there, and you you just see it for what for whatever reason. I think this weekend, I think it's a bit exaggerated because it just seemed like just a couple of mistakes. But Huskies capitalized on a lot of this. They're little like just one mistakes, right? Yeah. Um, the same cloud team is good this year. And that's the like, other thing is, yeah. uh, have we? I don't want to jinx it, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> this is the most balanced complete St. Cloud team we've seen since what 1819 mm -hmm. yep 
hundred percent. Um, they've got, they've got the, uh, they've got the offense. The defense looks good. Goaltending the one, two tandem has been solid. There's not a, if there's any true weak point, it's been their penalty kill. Honestly, there's has been anything. Um, and mind you, I'm saying that, you know, with an asterisk, it's not super bad, but it, it, could use a little bit of improvement. Yeah. Um, power play has been good, 22%. So, I mean, I think it's not necessarily the best window to look through CC because, I, I again, I think St. Cloud is that good, right? But yeah. you have to also look at it from the hockey's perspective of what CC was like, what their, what their identity was just two years ago, and yeah. really what their mojo was. They didn't have much, right? And mm-hmm. what Chris Maya has done in a year and a half, essentially, since he's been there, um, is nothing short of impressive. Um, this team, yeah. like I said, they're they're actually trying to counterpunch. Um, you see that you know the more NHL style of play; they're not sitting back and trapping. Um, so it, it'll Gen- take some time. Genuine nervousness on Friday night if yeah. you're a Huskies fan. I mean that that was a, about as tight of a hockey game as you could see. You know, like and and again, you know, when you as a coach, right when you don't when you know miss necessarily skill to skilled you're not quite that same level all you can ask is to try to keep it tight right and then try to get yourself a balance and you know a miami right two shots in the third but one of them finds the back of the net and that's mm-hmm. the game winner right sometimes you just need that one shot that just a cni shot that gets squeaks through and uh that's the difference maker so I, I think you have to be happy with Friday, obviously Saturday, um, a little bit less um, maybe than ideal for CC. But again, that I think it's less of CC and more of just St. Cloud really mm-hmm. uh, taking advantage of some opportunities that they had. Yeah, uh, CC still struggling a little bit on Saturdays for whatever reason. Um, pretty yep. impressive for the Huskies to go into Ed Robeson and do what they did, though. I mean, the Tigers yeah. have been very good at home this they year. Have been. Yes, um, they have. So we talk about standings. This it, Here's the thing, and if you're a St. Cloud fan, why do we mention that we feel like this team is a good hockey team? They need one or two in the NCHC. The reason I say that, okay, uh, Denver is the top of the standings right now with 16 points, uh, yep. five and one in the season. Western Michigan at two. St. Cloud is at three at 12 and 11 points, respectively. Um, Duluth and CC are actually tied for four and five right now. Uh, mm-hmm. With eight points apiece, Minnesota Duluth has the extra victory. So they're ahead of the Tigers right now. North Dakota in sixth, one point behind at seven. Uh, and then Omaha, one point behind them at six. And then Miami is in eighth at four points. And it's this crowded. Is, <laughs> and this is the thing. I think Miami and Omaha are probably going to hang out. Miami is probably going to be seven or eight. Um, mm-hmm. I think Omaha, six or seven for sure. CC, anywhere from five to seven this year. Mm-hmm. You need... Uh, those top two spots, I think, in the NCHC to maybe give a chance to get Miami or Omaha this season. Like, you do not want Colorado College. You do not want Minnesota Duluth. You do not want North Dakota. You don't want Western Michigan. Um, you know, you probably, no. probably wouldn't get Denver because Denver's going to be up there too. But, like, right. um, you know, if you if, do get Denver, you're in the wrong side of the, of the standings conversation. Yeah, yep. Either that or Denver really slipped and suddenly it's uh, four and five matching up for whatever reason. But this right. is like, if you're St. Cloud here, and we talked about them being 500 here, they're trending in the right direction against the good teams and they're taking care of the teams they're supposed to take care of. We talked about yep. how good CC has been. You still got to take care of business against a team like that. Give yourself a chance. You do not want this Tigers team in the first round. You just don't know. Um, talking about some performance for St. Cloud State, we really haven't focused a lot on the player side. We have a chance to do that with some time this week. So first guy I want to talk about, Nick, 
Jack Peart and how we talk about how he mm-hmm. was a guy that really had to take a jump uh, in, in his sophomore season. Little slow to start, but after that, he's really heated up and hasn't looked back. I think with the loss of Josh Lidke, he really took on that enhanced role even more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he's finally becoming that player that we as Huskies fans really wanted him to be. And we saw this with another defenseman um, in Nick Perbix, quite literally. Ooh. Yeah, right. Um we saw it, geez, and, and I still remember when, you know, I was, you know, with the team day to day, essentially, you yeah. know, up there in St. Cloud. And uh, there were others that I had conversations with that, you know, basically thought that Nick Perbix was overhyped, that, you know, he does turnovers. I'm like, well, yeah, he's young, but yeah, just, look wait. At this, yeah. just wait. Like it's, he's got all the tools there. He just has to figure out to put them together. And to your point with Jack Pierce, sometimes, when it clicks is when almost you're sort of thrown into the fire, right? When you're yeah. like, okay, it's either you do it or you don't. And mind you, was Spencer Meyer back in lineup this weekend? I don't think he was. Yeah, I think I he was know. still out. Um, when you're losing your captain, um, a three-year captain, you know, in, in Spencer Meyer, and Josh Lidke had been out. Uh, Jack Peart, I think, really was asked by the coach staff, hey, we 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 need you to be the player that we know you can be. And shall we say, I think what points in six of seven, I think now, if you count this weekend, uh, he's turned it up. And uh, shall we say that there are glimpses of the complete package that we think we'd see. And if he continues to traject that way, he's going to be an exciting player to watch. Yeah, certainly was. Like you mentioned, uh, yeah, um, Spencer Meyer was out of the lineup this weekend. And, you know, the, the thing, too, is is that uh, for those wondering deep pairings, by the way, it was Anhorn and Josh Lidke again, which the return of Josh Lidke alleviates some of the Spencer Meyer issues, Jack Pierre, yep. Brendan Bushy together. Um, really been impressed with Andre Trayball in the quiet season that he's had this season as well, too. Um, <clears throat> but beyond that, it's like, you know, Jack is a guy that I don't know that we expected more of him from his freshman year, but I think it was you talk about being thrown into the fire. There were certainly some growing pains last year. Oh, yeah. And I think he came into this season knowing what he had to do. He had a year under his belt, really kind of had a chance to reset a little bit, kind of almost a reverse of Vieti Mietnin, who had a great freshman campaign uh, Mm -hmm. for most of the year struggled in the sophomore slump and then has now kind of retooled his game here again. Mm-hmm. Jack was the opposite where it took him a while to kind of warm up. But once you got the pot boiling, he has certainly looked good. And like you mentioned that Nick Perbix esque you know, ability to try to put all those pieces in the toolbox and carry that with you down the road. Matthew Kachuk certainly knows what the Nick Perbix toolbox looks like, by the yes, way, he but does. he's um, feeling it. That's for sure. Well, if you're a Tigers fan, Dominic Bassey has looked good. Grant Cruikshank, man, like, Holy- Buckets, if man. if you're an athletic trainer on this St. Cloud team, you're wrapping him in bubble wrap until he gets to the <laughs> ring. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness, dude. Holy cow. Um, another can, goal and assist. So up to 17 yeah. points already. Can this kid shoot the puck? Like we always kind of knew that, but like when you put him on a power play unit or on a line and uh, let's be frank on a team that can do some damage. My God, wow. dude. <laughs> and I, I think we joked about this preseason, you know, when he started off super hot and I think we both thought it would eventually tail off. It certainly hasn't. Yeah. Um, do you think Grant Crookshank, and I think we talked about this, this point is, do you think Grant Crookshank wishes he'd been here last year? 
I would, you know, it's funny. I would love to ask him that question. I would love to ask him that question, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's the thing, you know, he's not buried in the lineup. He's a top six guy and to be fair, a top line guy now, but coming into the season, he was going to be, get a shot in that top six and he hasn't looked back. Um, Yeah. It just, you know, he is, I, I think about the players that have come in to this program since let's say 2018, 19, which was probably the most complete Huskies team we've ever seen. Probably will yep. see um, no offense right. to the guys, but they were just on another level. Grant Crookshank is a top six forward on that team. Hands down. Yep. He this year has been one of the most complete players we have seen in St. Cloud probably since the two thousands. I mean, Oh, easily uh, up and down the lineup, 200 foot player can play center, can play wing. If he needs to able to shoot the puck, able to pass the puck, creative, hardened on pucks where he's generating offense. He's winning foot races, winning puck battles, can play on special teams, could probably even kill a penalty for you if you need it. I mean, he is just the complete package this year. Um, and I don't say that because like you said, 17 points, 11 goals to go along with that marker. But beyond that, just the little things he does, even when he's without the puck, where he positions his body, how he reads the play, how he's able to think one or two steps ahead with that anticipatory play. What a pickup by Brett Larson. <laughs> and isn't that something that Brett Larson preaches? If you do the small things, you get rewarded. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Hockey, uh, hockey's not a hard game, people. <laughs> no, but it is a game of small details. And again, yep. to the casual fan, a lot of those small details go, I'm not sure if it's unnoticed, maybe underappreciated. Yeah. And with Grant's, for right now, uh, the little things are boasting big rewards for him personally, as well as for the team. Um, again, this team is, uh, they're a wagon. Can we say it? Yeah. The Huskies are yeah. a wagon. They're a good I, team I, this year. They're a good team. Um, um, and, again, overall, you know, yeah. what, uh, 11 and 3? Yes, yeah, that's 11 and correct. 3. Yeah. yeah. And so you talk about the performance that we expect to show up. Yami Cranel, a quietly a four assist weekend for him. I mean, like, you know, he's shown up and it's funny because as soon as I said he had a quiet weekend, whatever it was, two or three weekends ago, he's he's exploded (laughs) in points. So that's we got to start calling other people out. Um, Jackson Castor, you need to put the puck in the net more. Um, What is it? I right. Um, Vieti Mietnin has certainly had a great rebound uh, campaign for him in his uh, junior year. Uh, Zach Okabe, I, I, again, I raved about him two years ago, and I'll continue to yep. rave about him, the way he plays the game. This is, if you're looking for, if Grant Crookshank's your complete package, Zach Okabe is the guy you throw there if you want a prototypical, quintessential, whatever the descriptor is for F1 on the four check, hard in yep. on pucks, winning battles, aggressive, uh, willing to be gritty in all areas of the ice, you know, and he's a guy that, yes, he's got a lot of speed and skill and certainly has shown that on display this year, but he's a guy who goes where goal scorers go. He wins, lose pucks. He's going to the front of the net. He's looking for rebounds. He's looking for redirects. He's looking for anything around the blue paint. And that's what makes him so successful is he's not afraid to be in any area of the ice, even in his defensive zone. We talk about how good these guys are defensively off or sorry offensively defensively they've been even better in terms of it's not often you see top lines top six guys that are so responsible on their own end too it's been mighty impressive from this team is there one is there another player that you'd like to talk about um but beyond that i mean really let's encapsulate this team as we head into thanksgiving Thanksgiving break, they're off before they have North Dakota, and then I believe Miami to finish off before Christmas break. We'll get to that. Right. But, um, this team last year certainly had a great start in non-conference play, and even conference play up to Christmas time. 
this group just feels so much different. It really does. It, it feels more cohesive. It feels like, and we talk about the top guys too, right? Uh, Crookshank, Anhorn, just name a few. But I think the bigger thing is the bottom six. Yeah. The bottom six. We talked about how there was that, who was going to fill that Will Hammer role? And we really didn't get the impression that that fourth line really was the fourth line that they needed yeah. to be able to allow the top two lines to do what they needed to do. So to me, as as impressive in the points that we've been taught, you know, uh, raving to the top six, I also have to give credit to the bottom six and, and being that aggressive on the four check and still being on the offensive zone and wearing teams down, right? And still creating, right? I think Grant Sean has been really good in that role. Um, Ethan Acoin in and out of the lineup. Um, he's learning. Um, yeah. You know, they're, again, these young freshmen and some of these underclassmen. And when Aiden Spells, he's been in a, he's looked much better. Again, he's been better on the wing than he was you know, at the center ice position. I think that's been a good change from yeah. uh, from Brett Larson and the and, crew. And how, and how great has a guy like Ryan Rosborough looked this season yeah. when he's jumped in? Like how, how many times did we talk about the last couple of years when we see him when, you know, when he was red shirting and we watched him? He's like, this is a big body. Like, yeah, get him six, into the lineup. Six, somehow, three, I six, think, three. Yeah. And yeah. I know that he came in as a natural center. Um, and I know that Brett Larson said that the defensive side of the game was still something he was learning um, and the face-offs as well. So, but I'm glad he's at least in because they've had him on the left wing side. Um, again, with that size, if you can get in there and skate and at least again, to, even just to create a 50-50 puck battle and then your supporting cast comes in and is able to dig out a loose puck. Yeah. Sometimes that's all you got to do, right? Yeah. You know, another guy that we've, we talked about Kyler Kupka. I've really been impressed with him too. Um, and then he's of course, been out too. Yeah. Jeez. And then of course, Chase Brand as well. Um, Jack Rogers, I mean, getting his first yeah. as a Husky, he has been kind of a steady little mainstay in the lineup when, he has. You know, when he's uh, kind of really filled that role as a, I guess a third line guy, fourth line yeah. guy, but you know, like, I mean, he's just, he's been mighty impressive to me too. I mean, this, like you mentioned, it's hard to point to a deficiency with this group this year. Defensive core has been a well-oiled machine as well too. You just hope the train keeps rolling. So we'll have to see. Yep. Um, like we mentioned uh, the standings, Denver, Western St. Cloud, Duluth, CC, North Dakota, Omaha, Miami, in that order. What's on tap in the NCHC? Our Huskies are off along with the CC Tigers and Duluth Bulldogs. Other teams matching up the only conference play. Omaha will travel to Denver this upcoming weekend. North Dakota is at and versus Bemidji State for some non-conference action this weekend. That should be an exciting little matchup, I think, to watch. Yep. Uh, there, Sanford Center and Ralph Engel Center Arena. Um, Michigan State uh, will travel to Miami for a non-conference matchup. That'll be a curious case to see how the Spartans handle uh, the Red Hawks. And then a single-game matchup, Northeastern, Western Michigan, Bridgestone Arena, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I forget the occasion. Um, I couldn't find the occasion. Um, but they're <laughs> playing each other <laughs> at Bridgestone, so that's what's coming up this week. So we don't have a preview for men's hockey because, of course, they're off. Uh, their next matchup will be against North Dakota December 2nd and 3rd. Uh, so they'll be playing women will be playing this week. So um, keep an eye on that pairwise changes. I suppose we can glance at that really quick to see if there's anything. Uh, that Duluth we went up a little bit with that win against uh, Western Michigan. I'm um, still deep down in there at 36, but they were in the forties 
not yeah. that long ago. So yeah, St. Cloud uh, sitting at fourth, which I think is fair. This UConn team's at three, and I have no problem with that. I mean, they've no. you know, is it maybe a little high based on strength of schedule? Sure, but they've done everything they needed to do. Um, yeah, and control I'm very, the pairwise, they can just control what you do on the ice, right? Yeah. When do you think is the last time the two Huskies have matched up there? Now we just need Michigan Tech to jump into the fold. Uh, right. So <laughs> to run it down, Denver at number one, no problem with that one. Minnesota at number two, like we said, this Gophers team is very good. They're good. Uh, UConn, St. Cloud, Penn State at five. I'm okay with that. Yep. Uh, Harvard at six, man. I know they're seven and oh, but like, get out of here with that. <laughs> I know, pretty much. Uh, Pro- Providence at seven. Like I said, this Friars team is not half bad this year. Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac at eight. Merrimack they're at good. nine, this Merrimack team. Uh, BU at 10, Michigan State at 11. Uh, the Wolverines dropping to 12 right now. A tough, mm-hmm. obviously, weekend for them. UMass at 13. They're six, five, and one. I still don't understand this one. Um, Maybe it's the game against Denver that probably really helps them. Most likely. Um, yep. UMass will right behind him in 14. Mankato in 15 and Ohio State 16. Um, NCHC people, uh, Western Michigan right behind in 17. Um, Michigan Tech, RIT Northeastern rounding on the top 20, by the way. But uh, let's look around here. North Dakota's at 28. Uh, that loss against Miami yep. probably doesn't help. Miami's right behind him tied for 29th. Um, How about and, that, huh? And Omaha's right behind them uh, or at 31. Wisconsin's jumped since yeah, to then. 33. Uh, victory for Clarkson put them right in the mix. Like you mentioned, Duluth at 36. Yep. CC's at 43. I, I still think CC, I mean, I know they've had a couple of losses. Like the St. Lawrence weekend certainly didn't that help them. Um, yep. But I think they're much better than 43. But math is math, apparently. Um, yeah. Yeah, isn't that weird that CC is technically sitting uh, in the upper echelon-ish of the NCHC standings, and they are, let's do math, 12 or 13 points behind Miami, who is dead last in the NCHC. I mean, it's it's all about who you play at the right time and who you're playing against. Is there any other surprises that stick out to you here? Um, I think, if anything, Wisconsin being as high as 33 still kind of surprises me, honestly. They've strung a couple of weekends together, though, where they've taken care of business. ASU and NMU tied at 22. That's kind of interesting, um, right behind Notre Dame. And then BC is in that mix, too, along with Bemidji State. So, um, a lot of state being at 25, that's good for them. Yeah, St. Thomas is at 49 for other Minnesota related schools. So, um, yeah, interested to see uh, how everything obviously shakes out uh, women's side here. St. Cloud was off this weekend. Let's get you recapped on other scores here going on. UW Eau Claire played Minnesota state Mankato on Monday for some non-conference action. MSU handy seven to one victory. St. Thomas then traveled to Mankato this weekend for Saturday, Sunday action. Uh, Mankato won yesterday uh, three to one. We don't have a score for today. Bemidji State traveling to Ohio State. I was curious to see how Bemidji uh, did here, and they, yeah. didn't do, they didn't do well. Not uh, so well. Yeah, 5 nothing, 7-1. And then Harvard traveling to Duluth for some non-conference. Duluth uh, outscoring their opponents uh, 13-0 over the weekend. Um, so Yikes. Yeah, good weekend for the Bulldogs here. I think the Bulldogs are really – um, probably St. Cloud's biggest competitor here uh, this season, I would yep. say, based on how things have shaken out. Minnesota will travel to Wisconsin this weekend. They did play on Saturday to a 3-3 three to three overtime tie where the Gophers did win in a shootout. Of course, back in action here on Sunday. No women's recap, so let's get to some standings here. Ohio State at 37 points, 12-1-1 in the season. This Buckeyes team is good. good. Um, they are... 
I would say they are probably, I don't want to say head and shoulders, but they are probably the one team that has broken away from the pack, not just statistically, but they're just, they're kind of they're on another good. level. Um, yeah. Minnesota, 9-0-2 at 29 points. Wisconsin, a uh, fair amount behind them at 22 points at 7-1-1. One, one. This the top three are kind of not bunched up together like they have been in years past. There's really been some separation here. However, Wisconsin, you know, two games in hand too yeah. um, on the, on Minnesota too. So that, that, right. that could close quick. Yeah. Well, good thing they played each other. Right. So that'll right. sort, that'll sort things out. Uh, Minnesota Duluth at five and five, they're at 15 points. Mankato right behind them at 13 points at four and seven Huskies tied with that same point value in six Huskies have played one more game and it was a loss. So uh, yep. Mankato has a game in hand. So that's why that is Bemidji state one and 11 with three points. And then St. Thomas yet to win a game in eight appearances. So really Bemidji and St. Thomas are kind of stuck in the cellar right now. Um, and it's really a three-way fight for fourth place uh, at 15, yep. 13, and 13 points between Duluth, Mankato, and St. Cloud. So um, I would break it up as top three, middle three, bottom two, uh, if you're trying to figure that out. St. Thomas will travel Saturday, Sunday to Mankato the next week uh, on Thanksgiving as uh, – oh, I actually didn't update uh, what's on tap, I don't think. Or, yes, I did. Oh, Minnesota travels – to Wisconsin, I believe. Uh, maybe I left this in there accidentally. Um, regardless, though, Colgate will have Ohio State Tuesday, Wednesday um, this upcoming week. Bemidji State will travel to Quinnipiac Friday and then get UConn or Sacred Heart Saturday. Um, and then Penn State travels to Minnesota. That's what it is, Friday. And then they get BU or Yale on Saturday. Um, I believe Wisconsin is off. Um, and St. Thomas and Mankato, I believe are probably off too. Um, I probably messed that up, but that's okay. Uh, last, <laughs> last matchup, St. Cloud, Lindenwood, uh, they'll, they'll be matching up in Lindenwood over Thanksgiving here on the 25th, uh, that Friday, um, St. Cloud could use this victory here. If anything, for moral support, I guess, I mean, they don't yeah. have to have it, but certainly won't hurt them. Uh, this Lindenwood team has kind of been up and down in years past. Uh, really not a whole lot to say here. What do you have to add here for the women? Um, any point, uh, any win is momentum. It's, it's yeah. confidence. And when they get back to conference action, you know, again, as you mentioned, we talked about how a good season for them uh, would be in a fight for fourth. They're in there. They're yeah. in the fight. So um, I think for uh, Idolski, again, it's more just trying to, continue to grow that consistency. Uh, again, you beat the Gophers uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, but then unfortunately kind of took a step back against Duluth that same weekend, again, playing three games in a week. Um, that short turnaround probably wasn't ideal, but you have to be able to, to, to go out and win hockey games consistently, and that's still something they're learning to do. So um, anytime you have a favorable matchup, got to take care of business. Yeah, Minnesota... Um... Minnesota State, Mankato, St. Thomas, and uh, Ohio State are all, and Wisconsin are all off this weekend. Um, just pulled up the WCHA schedule. So um, moving over to the Minnesota Wild, our last topic in the main portion of the show here. We'll probably spend a fair amount of time here because our extra ice session is uh, piddly at best. <laughs> yeah. um, eight, eight, and two, 18 points in the season. They're three points out of third in the central, zero points out of second Somehow. in the wild card uh, with three teams above them, though, in that same exact spot, uh, either with a game in hand or with goal differential record with regulation wins. We'll get to that in a moment here. We're going to kind of go through the standings a little more in depth in the NHL here today. Uh, a dash five goal differential for the wild um, past week, uh, San Jose, a three to two shootout loss. 
uh, Nashville two to one loss in Nashville, Pittsburgh a six to four loss at home, and then Carolina uh, two to one victory in overtime. Alex Goligoski with the game winner, pretty emotional after his a thousandth game and been a scratch for what five six straight. Yeah, in his a thousand second game, um, it was his a thousand game celebration at home with the Wild. So he got an engraved Rolex and ATV silver stick, obviously. Um, so oh, and, and fun jazz. Yep, and ended up getting the game winner. It was uh, Sam Steele with a great wrist shot, glove side to tie that game with a little over five minutes to play. Uh, much needed points for this Wild team. You know what's weird, Nick? Um, as they've got Winnipeg coming up on Wednesday, Toronto on Friday, Arizona on Sunday. They've got like a four or five game homestand. Yep. Coming up this wild team. It's crazy. Like you mentioned that they're so close uh, in the standings here. I think I finally flipped over though, Nick, you know, cause I think that on this show, especially we're a very positive group, right? We like to try to pull the positives, you know, kind of give things time here. You know, the wild are still kind of in the thick of it. Um, I think I'm finally in the camp though, that this team fundamentally is not a strong hockey team. They're not a no. good hockey team. No, they're not because, well, let's take the two games this past week, right? Uh, you try to, shall we say again, protect your goaltender. Uh, you play a defensive style of game, can't score. So then yeah. you come back and say, okay, well, let's open things up. You do score, but you still allow more goals. So you lose six to four, even though it really was six to three. That fourth goal came, I think, what, seven seconds left yeah, in the hockey garbage, game, garbage goal. Yeah. So they haven't been able to figure it out. And I will say this. It's not just the case of losing Kevin Fiala. There's no question that the secondary scoring has been bleak at best. Yeah. Um but also, it just seems like the team itself, and, and mind you, what's all? Can we can we talk about injuries? The injuries hasn't helped either. Yeah, it certainly has. By the no. way, Kevin Fiala, eighteen points in twenty one games. In case anyone was curious, leads the Kings, if I'm not mistaken. But <laughs> pretty close. Uh, yeah. So you have no secondary scoring. Rossi is a stone's throw away from being sent back down to Iowa, which yeah, he probably needs to. It will probably happen. Yeah. It will probably happen. Um, again, Tyson Jost um, picked up on waivers. We talked about how he kind of fell out of favor. Um, yeah. Nick Patan yeah. looked good last night, though, I thought. I was shocked because I predicted that he would get the opening roster. I was shocked that he got he was one of the last guys that got sent down. Yeah. You know, as, as far as a fourth line role, I thought he actually had really good chemistry with the three. That yeah. he, I can't remember exactly the three that they had. Um He's a but, guy who he's a guy who could stick, especially with Tyson Jost losing or leaving, not losing. Um, and Marco Rossi's situation. And you know the other, I mean, Greenway's been in another lineup. You know the person that has been a major disappointment to me this season in that bottom six right now, Marcus Felino, man. Yeah. He's really struggled. He has. Um, and it just that well, first of all, the the grief line, you know, yeah. they they had something special. Oh, it's money. They were healthy most of the year last year. Yeah. Um, Say so we haven't even seen it. Hardly haven't seen it. Ryan Hartman, um, who again, part of that top three, not being out long-term, that doesn't help. So yep. you have a situation where you had a club that was mostly healthy for a lot of the, a lot of last year. Yeah. They're not healthy with the substitution. Shall we say trying to make the train work? It hasn't gelled. Um, you, you can't, you can't score more and then still keep a good defensive structure to, to lock down defensively. Yeah. Um, they just haven't figured it out yet. And 
I know in our private chat, Noah, you said, well, if they tank this year, not the worst thing in the world. This is yeah. a deep draft coming Extremely up. Extremely deep draft class. In fact, they predict that three of the top five guys could be NHL ready now. Wow. Like, yeah. Well, we yeah. know Connor Bedard, obviously, you know, the the so-called number one, he probably will be the number one. Yeah. Um, the, the question I have is this. I think the bigger implication in the wild will be if indeed the estimate with and, and we talked about the boards and I also said this is a new revenue stream. If indeed the salary cap jumps by four million, mind you, the wild right now have what five? If yeah. you get an extra nine mil on your hand, can they go out and get a center? They could. We talked about even in that private chat too, even if it's a two year plan, by twenty twenty five the cap is supposed to jump by ten million and then the wild get fifteen million dollars in cap release. So they get twenty five million dollars. Uh, at that particular point, which is much needed. It's, you know, it, it's almost a bad thing because we're doing the Minnesota sports thing again where they're mm-hmm. they're still in the mix somehow. And, you know, it would almost make me feel better if the Wild, like, lost eight of their next nine to kind of put themselves in the spot where they're out of it. You know what I mean? They're still... Or un- put themselves into it. Yeah, right? there's still a glimmer of hope. But that's the thing. It's like, is this team... Let's say they make a first round. Are they a contender? The way they're playing right now, no. No. Yeah. And the here's the other thing too, right? So you have paydays coming up for Matt Boldy. You have uh, Sam Steele, who will be tendered a contract. Yes, I, I lost my camera for whatever goof. <laughs> but, you Whoa. know, while I'm, while I'm trying to fix this on the fly here, and I yeah. do apologize. You know... Um, here we go. No, I got it. It's uh, for whatever reason it, it switched over, and I'm not sure how that happened. This um, is uh, this is new. This um, is, you look better this way. I, I honestly, I don't <laughs> disagree with you. So, um, there I am. Okay, hey, so now now, you, now your eyes are exploded. Okay, so uh, but also Duhame and Mason Shaw all on arbitration rights RFA contracts. Here's the other one, Kalen Addison. Yeah, the big UFA Matt Dumba. So there's going to be some. Whatever happens after this, no matter what happens, there are some roster decisions that are coming yeah. for this wild squad that are going to make this a very interesting offseason, regardless of where they finish. Yeah. Kalen Addison, Matt Boldy, certainly priority, obviously. Boldy's been a bright spot. Mason Shaw has looked been a fantastic he's been good. bright spot for this. He's, group. A good, he's good. You yep. know, w- would you have ever guessed, Nick, if I told you on November 20th in the Western Conference, Dallas, Colorado, and Winnipeg are your top three in the Central Division. There's one of those teams that we would have expected. Yep. And that's Colorado. Dallas, 11-5-2. No. and two. no, I wouldn't have guessed that. Winnipeg um, Winnipeg, and Colorado are tied at 21 points. And meanwhile, let's not forget, Colorado was kind of in the cellar a little bit here, and now they're 7-3 and three in their last 10, as are the Jets, 7-2-1. and one. They got shut out last night, but that's the Wilds' next opponent. And then beyond that, St. Louis is in the second wild card spot, and then Nashville and Minnesota are trailing Calgary and Edmonton in the wild card there. And mm-hmm. like somewhat, I mean, it's just uh, no team really has gained a ton of traction here besides Vegas, who's been and St. Louis. Remember, St. Louis on a seven game losing streak; they've yeah. won six straight now. So they have, at least as of right now, they've kind of righted the ship. Yeah. Um, and how about so, this? Let's talk about the Vancouver Canucks, right? Because let's not forget Vancouver <laughs> dropped like their first seven or eight games. Yeah. 
They're three was, points behind the Minnesota Wild right now at six, nine, and three. Like, yeah, this is I, I don't know how to really characterize it. And you look around at the East, like the East is much more spread out as far as like what you would kind of expect. Like New Jersey, I I don't know where they came from, but uh, Lindy, Lindy Ruff is apparently the answer. They're fifteen and three, man. Well, and, and shall we say that the argument with New Jersey the last couple of years has been they had good starts and then they just collapsed and they're like, what the heck? Yeah, right? They, they were no expected. They were expected to be better the yeah. last couple of years. And then it's like, finally, it looks like early on they have pulled it together again. 12 straight wins. Holy Jesus. They're a, they're a, <laughs> they're a wagon. Holy Nick, cow. let me put it to you this way. Um, how many Eastern Conference teams are below the Minnesota Wild this season right now? In, in the points. In, in the league, yep. Four. Thanks for counting. I wanted you to guess, but it's fine. Um, I knew it wasn't many. So. Yeah. Um, and the Philadelphia Flyers and Chuck Fletcher's group uh, are tied with the Wild. So, um, oh boy, mm, yeah. Um, what what can we avoid triggering the fan base? Yeah. <laughs> the, the Wild are twenty third, one point above the Capitals, who are having a really up and down They're year really this season. A tough go. Um, yeah. Yeah, this Ottawa Senators team is down at 30 now. They had such a great start. So did Buffalo, and they just have really tailed off. But um, eight straight. Yeah, Chicago, the only Central Division team besides Arizona behind the Minnesota Wild. Um, Seattle is eighth in the league right now, Nick. What a great yeah. season. What a great season they've had. You look at you look at them, Vegas, LA. I mean, yeah. The the Pacific is stronger than the Central this year. It is 100%. And, the, and the fact that the Edmonton Oilers are only at 20 points astounds me because Connor McDavid is a cheat code. He like, is a human cheat code, yes. Um, again, Edmonton has had defensive slash goaltending woes, even with Mike Smith not in between the pipes. It's been kind of hilarious. Yeah. Um, but I think the bigger storyline is Seattle um, yeah. with some of their really good offseason acquisitions, Oliver Bjorkstrand. Uh, and then obviously Matty Brenier is coming in. Shane Wright it looks like he's ascended a little bit into their lineup as well. So yeah, um, that was their big thing last year is that they just they couldn't score. This year, uh, they're scoring a lot more. Um, can they keep it going? Yeah, Most likely. And I've always been a fan of like you know make the playoffs and see what happens. And that's certainly still yep. true in the National Hockey League. But here's the thing, Nick. You've got Nashville that's tied with you on points right now. St. Louis, who is also tied with a game in hand, sitting in that second wild card spot. Winnipeg and Colorado, three points ahead of that. Dallas at 24 points. Do we want that for Minnesota? Do we want them to sneak into the second wild card spot? Or like, it, it, not to say that you, you tank for Bedard like we've talked about, but like, do the Wild need a season like that where they finish? They finish seventh in the central and they kind of have a little bit of a reset here and kind of rebuild the core around Caprizov by the time he's supposed to resign, which thankfully I believe is in 2025 when they're supposed to have a ton of cap space. But it's a whole oh boy. It's not that simple, right? Because does Caprizov get frustrated if he wants to win? But that's what I'm saying. Is it is it smart for the wild here to sit? If you're going to do it, you have to do it now. That's what I'm saying. Should they be sitting in, in wild card one or wild card two, being a mediocre hockey team with the 16th overall pick in the NHL draft? Or I get it. Do they do they kind of retool here a little bit and kind of anticipate the cap relief? That's coming? here's the other problem is the Minnesota Wild have not in shall we say their short history have had the greatest track record of draft picks in the top ten. Uh, so uh, Benoit Pouliot, um, James Shepard. Uh, Benoit Pouliot was a good player though. 
Uh, he we the skill set. He should have been better. He should have been a lot better. Yeah. Um, yeah, but their last couple, it's been Matt Dumba. Matt Dumba was twelve, I think. Jonas Brodin was seven. Brodin was uh, probably yeah. their their best one. Um, Rossi is still young. Again, I, I want to emphasize Matt Boldy at twelve. Matt Boldy at twelve. So, but t- what I mean by is like top ten. Eh, let's see here. Let's graphic see history. I mean, um, besides Marion Gabrick and I think Koivu. Koivu yeah. was a top ten pick. Um, Brent Burns was a top pick. Uh, at, at the end of it, it's still rolling the dice, right, Noah? Um, yeah. So because let, it, so I don't know. Well, let's let's go through here. Like you mentioned, Marion Gabrick. Um, who is the next player drafted by the Wild after Marion Gabrick in the two thousand entry draft? By the way. Ooh, that draft wasn't great either. Um, only only other player to really play minutes in the show. Well, I gave it away. I have no idea. Nick Schultz. Um, oh, Schultzy. Okay. Uh, two thousand one six overall. Miko Koivu. Um, yep. Derek Bugard was uh, um, two hundred second overall in that draft. By the way, Pierre Marc Bouchard at eight in two thousand two. PMB. Yep. Yep. Followed by Josh Harding in the second round. Brent Burns in two thousand three. Yep. Um, AJ Thielen in 2004 at 12. Yay. Eh. Ben Watt at four and 05. James Shepard in 06. Like you mentioned. Yeah, that was, yeah. Um, Andre Fiala in 2006. Um, what eh. a life. Um, Colton Gillies <laughs> in 07. That he, what sniffed the show and then yeah. was promptly said, see you later. Yeah. Okay. Actually, Justin Falk behind him had a better career. Tyler Kuma at 23 in 2008, actually only Bust. four draft picks, him and Marco Scandella. I can't believe Marco Scandella was drafted in 2008. Yeah. Um, 09 was Nick Letty who never actually played for the wild. Nope. Uh, um, thank you. Cam Barker. Yeah. 20, 2010 was, uh, Mikhail Granlund. Yep. At nine, um, Jonas Brodin at 10 in 2011, Matt Dumba at seven in 2012. Yep. Um, 2013, their first pick was in the second round. Alex Tuck at 18 in 2014. Gosh, would have been nice. Uh, Erickson Eck at 20 in 2015. Luke Conan yes. at 15, who yep. plays for the Preds. Um, Sharks now. 2017, their first pick wasn't until round three, so kind of a nothing there. Oh, Chuck Fletcher. There you go. 2018 at 24, this was the Paul Fenton single draft. Uh, Philip Johansson, who never turned into anything, followed nope. by Matt Boldy at 12 and 19, Marco Rossi, and then Jesper Wallstadt last year. Yep. And so then Liam Brackett. Yep. Yep. And then Liam Ogren and uh, Yurov, uh, both first yep. rounders in this past year. So I don't know that it's been terrible in the top 10 but it's been been great it's it's been a it's been a while since we've had a top 10 pick in fact that's the thing yeah in fact besides besides uh marco rossi in 2020 you have to go all the way back to 2012 which is matt dumba Jonas bronin and mikhail granlin in the previous three drafts which were let's be real not terrible picks they've all been nhl yeah players and then after that really james shepherd and Benoit pouillot are the only outliers and then pierre Marc bouchard miko koivu and marion gabrick were all very good nhlers so yes, they were um yeah it's an interesting case I like think, what do the wild do here obviously you don't intentionally lose games but can this fan base take more of you know no, second wild card exits? no but they also can't take missing the playoffs um you know, at the end of it, I think the bigger question is what do they do with six million coming off the board with Dumba plus the five? You've got eleven million bucks effectively. Here's my question for you. 
I think um, that's the bigger question, honestly, more than the draft is what do you do with some of that money that you have freed up if indeed it does jump by that much? Here's my question, and I don't know how many suitors Matt Dumbo will have because he's a curious case and a half like we've obviously discussed on this show plenty of times. But if Matt Dumbo is not picked up by anybody, do you – and you can sign him for 2.5 mil a year for two years. You can sign him for one and a half if you want. Do you take it? Yeah. I would too. Yeah. Absolutely, because I think that's sort of the reason why people are knocking on him is that at six million, yeah. right? There's an expectation of at least some offense, and again, I think the case is clear. And I, th- I still wonder why Wild fans can't just simply look at the simple fact that ever since the fight with Matthew, Matthew yeah, he's Kachuk, never he's never same. been the same. And before then, it really seemed like he had turned a corner. It seemed it like really he was, did. It seemed like he was underpaid. Yeah. It really did. And so it's, you know, it, it obviously Alex Galagasi coming off the books here as well. Most so, likely. Yeah. Yep. So, and so you've got what six and then what seven? You have five already. It's 11 um, that you have. Yeah. Effect, and really, the, and 12. really the only big re signing is Kalen Addison, who's going to get paid. Maybe not heavily, but he'll make, I would say right now, if you were to pay Kalen Addison Bill four, four and a half, if I'm Bill Garen, I get a, I give him a bridge deal. Yeah, four and a half for three years or something like that. Something like that. And I would yeah. see if you can try to get Boldy also on a bridge deal because if you can try to go out to the market and get another depth center or depth scorer. Let's not forget, that's though. Huge. That's huge. Let's not forget, though. If you believe in this core and you get to 2025, you can pay these guys. You know, like that's. Well, that's. Yeah, but I think you do. I still think you have to uh, tackle the free agent market. We know. Um, cause Ryan Hartman comes off the books too. Also, I think next year, Yeah, if I'm correct. Yep. Next Let's year. Look. Um, Zuccarello is off the books after next year. Felino also after next year. Um, Goudreau, Freddie Goudreau after this year as a UFA. Boy, I really like the way he's played though. Yes. Um, y- you, if you can extend him this spring and even keep the same dollar amount, 1.2, maybe even give him a little boost at 1.5, I would be all over that, 100%. Yeah. Curious to see how Mason, Mason Shaw develops, obviously, too. But, boy, what a journey he's had with those ACL injuries as well, too. I mean, it's yeah. been Holy mighty impressive for, hi- for him. Um, yeah, Jordan Greenway's still a curious case. I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's got some sort of shoulder injury, and some guys never really heal from that. The thing is, no. like, by the time Jordan Greenway's contract ends, will he even be in the National Hockey League? Like, I asked that not to be funny. Like, well, but, here's the thing. He's 25. Yeah. He's, he's you know, so you'll be, what, 28, 29, effectively? Yeah, the question the, is... The, the like, question did, is, is he even going to be healthy before yeah, then? Yeah, did, did his shoulder, has his shoulder given out on him? How about the fact that John Merrill is locked up until the same year as Kirill Kaprizov, by the way? That's all, that's actually a really good <laughs> money control signing, him, honestly. Him and Jacob Middleton, who's only 26. Yeah. Um, so the Spurgeon contract is not going to age well, I don't think, by the end of that. But I, you took the no, risk. But yeah, it's at the end of it. You Spurgeon's still one of your better defensemen right now. Um, Brodeen, of course, is worth every penny. If not, he's underpaid. I yep. would argue. Yeah, um, Erickson Eck with the same amount of term too. And people always get on Jonas Brodeen. I know he's not the flashiest offensive guy, but that's not his game. It never has been. No. He's a structural two hundred foot defenseman who locks things down. And they he's had a wh- skate. And he's had a whale of a time, largely for his career, being paired with Matt Dumba and trying to you know keep the house together when effectively when yeah. Matt sends it out 
He's so, the safety valve, right? Yeah. And that's the thing is it was supposed to allow Matt Dumba to utilize his offensive instincts and his shot, which we haven't seen since the yeah. Mac Kachuk injury. And you kind of wonder the wild must, and he must know that's never coming back. I think we can all say that, that that side of his game is, is gone. Yeah. Unless something absolutely crazy happens. Well, final, uh, so, yeah. Final synopsis here, Nick, before we head over to a very short, uh, extra ice session here. Um, the wild man, how do, what do we think? <laughs> Well, they're they're a tweener team, right? They yeah. they can't what's you know, they're dealing what's new. Um but I, I think it's different than years past, right? I think that the injuries haven't helped. I think they were banking on Rossi actually having some production. The fact that he hasn't had a single sniff at it. Yeah. Um you know hasn't and, helped. And my dad said something the other day, and at first I thought he was kind of crazy. And then I was like, maybe he's not crazy. Um, and is this a solution? Probably not. Obviously, he had a great preseason. He's like, what if they just put Rossi in between Kaprizov and Zuccarello and just let him simmer? Because he's going to get points. He's going to be with good hockey players. There's no way he doesn't get points there. You know what I mean? And just let well, him grow through it. You know? The, the thing is, is I think you could do that if the team wasn't at the record that they're at. Yeah. I think so. It's in, not in, crazy in, from a in, hockey I, sense. In either direction, by the way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think... If the team, especially with the injuries, right? When Hartman goes down, if this team is second in the central and you wanted to to experiment with it for a little bit, just to see if you can't get, at least break the seal. I yeah. think there's confidence that if he gets one or a point, you know, I think more is to follow. But with the team struggling, they're barely, they're at what? Barely 500. Yeah. Um, I don't think the team is willing to take that quote-unquote yeah. risk right now um the other side of the coin is you know does that really help the cause and you know what's the effect on you know the top two you know zuccarello slash kaprizov it's 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 a complicated puzzle we'll put it to you that yeah, way it certainly is you know the thing that's difficult with this wild team too that i think has been the worst part for them this season the expectation was set so high last year yeah that it's you know, and so many guys have, they haven't really regressed, but maybe they overachieved last year or had just found oh, the no, right that's fit. The thing. Yeah. Um, they, a lot of hard. guys had career years. And yeah. I think the expectation was, well, okay, the bar moved up. Let's keep it there. When the reality is that bar probably was too high to begin with. Yeah, certainly was. Well, we'll try to keep things on the down low, as we would say. Um, we're going to head on to our extra eye session. Just a very little quick blurb about uh, some uniforms that have come around uh, in the state of hockey, both on the ice and otherwise. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Nick Maxson alongside myself, Noah Grant. Nick, uh, this will be a very quick blurb for us. First, uh, Minnesota Wild wrapping things up here uh, on their end of things. The Reverse Retro is finally out, Minnesota or wild.com slash RR. Um, and we yep. talked a little bit about how people, you know, didn't, you know, think the green jersey was necessary or that you know, I can't believe they went with the same palette. I think a lot of us thought, well, if there was going to be a white jersey, there was going to be a green one here. I thought they were oh, cool. Yeah. I thought they were cool. Um, I like them. I um, like them. Yeah. Um, almost as much as your camera likes you. Just disappearing right. on you left and right here. But did, that's, did it go again? It sure did. You look good. Like you are a circle with mountains. I don't know how that will show up on the actual uh, YouTube wish, feed. Oh, oh you're back. Hey, how are you? Wow. Um, reverse retros, green and yellow are also back for the wild. And uh, I don't know. I think they're cool. I think it, 
the Wild capitalized on this opportunity, probably one of the only chances they would get to do a double North Star themed thing. And we've done it. Yeah, it's happened. It's not going to probably happen again unless something crazy no. goes on. I, you know, I would say if I had to rate these jerseys, the whites were certainly like a nine out of ten. They were unreal. Yeah, I would say the greens. I would say. 7.2 out of 10. Like they're still, they're still cool. I'll give them an eight. There's, I'll give them an eight and a half. Yeah, honestly, the full um, kit looks really cool. They actually, and it's funny because the whites were good, but I would say the green has actually been getting a lot more, shall we say national chatter about, yeah. Hey, wow. Get rid of the reds and go to this color scheme. Yeah, right? I wish. Happen. <laughs> but, um, that would look, I mean, especially with the stars and the, I mean, those look good. Yeah, those look good. But then can you imagine the tough time for a broadcaster between the stars and yeah. the wild? Oh, God, <laughs> that'd be a nightmare. Um, you mean the stars, and the stars, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and again, I, I've been an advocate uh, for the NHL allowing teams because, again, we talked. I think we had, we had a deeper dive on this a couple weeks back. The reverse retro this will probably be the last rendition of the reverse retro. Yeah. Because um, again, you can only stretch it so many different ways before you're just trying too hard. Um, I've always been in favor of doing something like what baseball is doing. We'll get to the twins here in a second, but also the the NBA for having, you know, a couple different alternates. Yeah. Um, and in fact, perfect scenario. And maybe to both sides, the argument, Carolina, um, were their home jerseys against the wild yesterday because Winnipeg is doing their reverse retro. I think they travel either today or tomorrow. Um, yeah. so only carried one Jersey. I always thought it'd be kind of fun where the home team should just pick whether one side or the other, whether it's an alternate light Jersey or an alternate dark Jersey. Um, and then let the road teams know it ahead of time and go from there. Have a little more, have a little bit more fun with it. I you think, know, that's one thing the NHL could capitalize more on and not be limited in the scope of like a reverse retro theme, yeah. but do something more unique to the squad where they are not bound by a certain theme or, you know, whatever the heck you want to call it. So I'm going to throw this out here right now. Whites need to be the new homes again. I, 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 yeah. I, I think that it just, it looks crisp. It looks clean. And that for those who don't know why, the whites used to be home one because I think they look cleaner, but number two, it's because the visiting opponents where if you went and you saw 40 wild games in a season, you would get to see the unique jerseys that would come in from other teams that would be colored. Right. Yep. So that was the whole purpose of that. Why they ever switched that when a lot of sports still pick white as the home uniforms. I will never NFL. know. No, because if you think yeah. about the NFL, uh, if I remember the switch, cause that happened post lockout, um, yeah, I think if the reasoning, if I remember correctly, was well, the NFL does home dark, so we're just trying to. I, I think honestly, it was a BS answer, and they were yeah. just trying to make a switch to make a switch. But um, yeah, no, up until that point, it was always yeah. home lights. You know, yeah, I've always been a, I've always been a fan. I think you have so many more options in certain senses. Well, let's move on to some home whites, some new ones, two new, well, white and cream, I guess, and then two road jerseys. Yeah. The Minnesota Twins coming out with their new. Uh, palette here and some, oh, good, some some good some bad here here's what I'll, bad. Here, here's what I'll, i wouldn't say a lot of bad here's what i'll say the two whites look good um uh really i love the clean look of the new home whites i think they look fantastic um because that's what a lot of baseball teams have been going to think about uh think about their triple a affiliate as well too down in st paul is like they've done that where they haven't overloaded the crest with a lot of backdropping and 
essentially what's called a stroke that's on the outside of that the outline of the the branding they've mm-hmm. gone to a to a simpler version i like the homes especially the twin cities alternate i like those um that one i do like yeah um i like the home ones because I, I like a clean jersey like a white jersey should be clean it shouldn't be busy it shouldn't be over the top um certainly the twin cities hat probably could have been something different but it's it's the road you know how about the m hat Ugh. yeah the, the, i'm sorry that's yeah, well, that's a miss well, huge miss well those are the roads so we're getting to those so the the road uniforms yeah um they suck i'm sorry yeah well the hats certainly are the worst part we've already talked about this they're not the miami marlins um no so not. the hats are certainly out they got to bring back the old retro m i think that was the best i don't mind the roads in terms of like the the striping and like the actual like base of each jersey um and even the numbers on them aren't terrible it's the actual graphic that says minnesota on the front that i think they could have been a little more creative with i think it that's a bit too blocky too generic that's that's the logo where i feel like that feels like i can make it in photoshop in two minutes you know what i mean like that's where you could it's like pick a font and here you go yeah you know so i i'm that's where i think they've really struggled with is the away setup um do we want to go through each of the jerseys and like rate them how do we want well let's talk i mean there's only four so yeah we can yeah well well let's talk about uh let's talk about did you want to add stuff on the aways because you're obviously not a fan of those but no, um, I was never a fan of the pinstripes. So I won't be honest with you just because it, I don't know. I liked the cleaner non pinstripe ones. Yeah. Um, Agreed. that's just my personal preference. Agreed. Um, and the fact that they're sort of like, if you look at the pinstripes, they're, they're very subtle. Yeah. It's, it's not like the older pinstripes where it's like, you know, they're there. This is like, I'm kind of here. Kind of not. It kind of gives me vibes to the way that I look at it. It gives me vibes to like this how it used to look in the retro days when the jerseys were a lot thicker and it was hard to see the difference because of how thick like the material of the jerseys were like back in the fifties and stuff like that. So maybe that's what they were going for. I'm not really sure, but let's, let's go left to right here. We're looking at the graphic that came out um, with Polanco, Buxton, uh, Luis Arise, uh, you know, going from left to right, basically. Uh, So we'll start with those grays. Like we talked about, one to ten or zero to ten i guess uh what do you got for this one so we're talking about the road gray with a pinstripe yep um four okay that's fair yeah i would say i was gonna go four and a half on that one the hat is a killer like they got to redo the hat um and i wonder if they will i you know there's been some already spent the money on it yeah there's been some serious backlash on on the fact that it's very close branding to the marlins like too close i don't know yeah um but yeah bring back the old retro m I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, four and a half, I think, is fair. That'll be the next reverse retro for baseball. So <laughs> they're waiting for that, probably. Yeah, certainly. I the the primary homes, the whites. What do you got here? You know, I don't mind them as much, um, but still love them. I'm going to give a six and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go with a seven and a half on these ones. I like them. Um, I think maybe the, the Twin Cities helmet has or helmet hat has been around for so long that i feel like maybe it's time for a change in general there <clears throat> you know i think it's so i i think it's still so synonymous yeah true um that that's not going to go away yeah anytime soon. <clears throat> i like it better with the the alternate that we'll talk about in a second but yeah seven and a half is mm-hmm. my boat uh how about the blues i actually don't mind the blues i think the blues look good um i'm shocked because i did like the reds 
Is it just me? Is it I liked the, the alternate reds? Some I think people, the reds some people good. like the reds. A lot of people were really sad that the baby blues went away. Um, yep. Um, well, now with this color scheme and the hats, there's no way those are coming back. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I mean, I could still see it as some sort of like promotional thing. Yeah, but still, it's it's it it won't be as much in the rotation as it has been. We'll put you that way. So did you? Uh, what do you the got? Blues for us? a seven. Seven. Okay. Wow. That's that's been your highest rated one. I was actually kind of surprised. I was going to go with like like a six, five and a half to six. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think without the pinstriping, you know, they don't they're not bad. But this is the one jersey that is a little bit too plain that probably could have used a little bit more oomph, maybe. Um, because the the hats are also blue, so it feels yep. very, it feels very like we have uh, a we have a little league team and we just got our jersey on custom ink, <laughs> you know, and, and threw yep. it all together. So, but I don't mind them. I think they might look better on the field than they do in a photo. Um, last jersey, the Twin Cities uh, cream colored alternates. Nick, I got to be honest. I'm gonna go nine and a half on these. I love them. I love. Them. I like these are my top. I'm gonna go nine on these. Yeah, actually, I like them as well. So overall. If you were to characterize the Minnesota rebrand, they actually also redid their actual logo, the Minnesota Twins, the circular logo. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a baseball. I think they did a really good job with that one too. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly, I would give that an eight out of 10. I like the little mini rebrand here. I would love to know what Caleb Peabody thinks. Of course, he used to work for the Minnesota Twins. So very curious to know what he would have thought. But uh, overall, like you said, some good, some bad. I still think there's more good than bad, but the bad is noticeably bad you know like it's not yeah. it's not like oh that's kind of bad it's like ooh. so overall how do we feel i feel uh tingly like I inside do, um, yeah, no <laughs> um i like most twins fans uh wanting more <laughs> like honest like <laughs> wanting more like in terms of expectation like no this. i i got i <laughs> that was good i like that um that's a fair. I don't, I don't. I don't usually get your funny bone very often. So when I do, I'm actually shocked. That and I do, uh, so. that's our show for this week. No, that yeah, was a good much. close. I certainly. Uh, Minnesota sports leave us to be desired. Here's a final question. All Minnesota sports here, right now, Sunday, November twentieth. Rank the Minnesota sports teams, the major sports teams, from one to four in terms of interest, in terms of excitingness to well, watch. This should be easy. Um, um, Vikings. Yep. Still the wild because I can't, I just can't do the Timberwolves, man. I just can't. And then the twins aren't playing, so they're naturally four. So, yeah. Um, you know what's interesting? And by the way, um, we were going to kind of go through this anyway. The twins are in 10th right now in the league. They're eight and eight. They're exactly 500 or twins. Timberwolves, sorry. Um, yeah, they're exactly 500. I think that we expected them to be a little bit better to start here. I agree with that assessment. The Vikings have been the hot team to watch right now. Um, Nick said they weren't going to make the playoffs. I think that's wrong at this point. Um, be pretty. Uh, yeah, because I think right now, if you get to 11 wins, if not 12, well, every, uh, you secure the central. Well, every, so. yeah, everybody else in the in the division is terrible. So it's god awful. Yeah, yeah. So we're the we were the we're tank division minus the Vikings this year. Yeah, certainly would agree with that assessment. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter at Warming House Den or at Huskies Warming House For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the death. Timer come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Snow, Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen!
magnificent for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill, the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.